Welcome to Advantage Over, the podcast for the rugby referee community, or simply those in rugby who want to know more about refereeing. Are you ready? Time on. Hello and welcome to episode 11 of the Advantage Over podcast. I am your host, Keith Lewis, um, and this is the only refereeing podcast serving the global refereeing community, um, or for those who want to find out what refereeing is all about. Um, you're very welcome to join us. Um, thank you, as ever, for the kind comments, reviews, um, and emails that I've had off the back of the last episode with Joya Clark. Um, a really insightful episode um, telling what it's like to be a referee as part of the South African Referee Academy and her great experiences there. Um, so thank you for that episode Joya um, and um, we hope your onward travels and future career go well. Um, turning to today so I'm going to bring you an interview I've done with um, a unique individual I think in English rugby um, doing something very unique in the referee education sphere but we'll jump to that a little bit later on. But before we get to that, um, let's have a look at what has happened in the refereeing news front over the last couple of weeks. Um, So um, a big appointments week this week, um, as you're listening to this um, in the middle week of October, um, where we've had the announcement of both the referees for the World 7 Circuits um, series for next year. So that all the men's and women's tournaments for 2018-19, all the referees for those two series have been announced. They're all on the um, rugbyreferee.net website, so do jump over there and have a look at them. Um, There's obviously been some retirements at the top with people like Alambra Nevis um, stepping down from um, refereeing circles, um, which is obviously sad for for her not to see her on the field, but she's going to be involved in the match um, official development team as part of World Rugby, so that's great for her. But that's opened up some doors for others, um, and it's good to see the likes of um, Sarah Cox and Holly Davidson and, and Joy Neville still um, officiating at a great level on that side of stuff. Richard Kelly from New Zealand is the ever-present in the men's circuit this season, um, and he's be joined by a mixture of uh, new referees coming through and those who have um, contributed a lot um, to the men's seven series over the last couple of years. So do check out the details. Um, of all those appointments series by series tournament by tournament um, in the sevens for next season Um, we also saw this week the um, unveiling of the autumn international appointments and there's a huge number of fixtures this time it's not just the um, the tier one appointments we've got 45 games going on from the end of october through to the first weekend of december um i was just looking at the numbers and we've got four from new zealand six from england three from wales two from australia six from france three from ireland two from argentina um, two from south africa and one from scotland um, all officiating in those 45 games um there's also so that, that those are games both the, obviously the top tier southern hemispheres are being hosted by the northern hemisphere inside in england scotland wales and ireland um, but there's also some important games going on in south america again as particularly as we look to build um towards the Rugby World Cup. And speaking of which, there's the Repechage tournament to um, narrow down the last spot um, in Rugby World Cup 2019. Um, and they're rolling out the big, big guns to support that. It's sort of a, um, a series of games in um, hosted all in the south of France where we'll see Germany, Hong Kong, Canada and Kenya um, all playing for that final spot. And you've got Wayne Barnes, Pascal Gazaire, Jaco Piper, Luke Pearce, Gus Gardner and Roman Poit all officiating in that round-robin tournament. So um, really important to see those uh, those big referees supporting um, Rugby World Cup and getting an experience of refereeing those sides and those sides obviously getting an experience of what it's like to referee, um, be refereed by those top um, 
officials so that will be good to see so that's certainly a lot of rugby to be going on down there um, as ever we try and have a look and see what the appointments might be telling us to be honest with that many appointments across the piece you, we're, we're struggling to find a bit of a narrative to, to help you with there um, there's a couple of names who are perhaps suspicious by their absence or lack of games John Lacey's only got one game and that's the last game um, of the series with the French Barbarians so um, misses out on a, t a top fixture um, on this round um, all the others that you'd think would be in the mix in the mix for Rugby World Cup 2019 are all in action um, across the different tournaments um, interesting to look at the TMO front they look to be bringing some new um, TMOs into action the likes of Ollie Hodges from um, Ireland getting some game time this time um, but two of the names that we've, we're familiar with perhaps over the last couple of years Glenn Newman from New Zealand and George Ayub are, are again um, missing from the list this time so whether you can read into that um, as you like they've obviously done a lot of travelling it might be that they're being rested it might not be um, we just don't know but we can obviously um, be interesting to see and watch how the officials all perform um, in the autumn international window obviously it's a really important time for them to get good game times to get the experience of what it's like there's a world rugby camp for referees in november as part of that in london which is one of two they have every year where they kind of get that team ethos together as they look to fill the number of spots that they've got for rugby world cup so certainly ones keep an eye on you'll find all the appointments on rugbyreferee.net um, and see who is refereeing the games in your country or where your favorite referees are officiating um, out there um, the other piece of news that's come through in the last couple of weeks is a slight change to the TMO protocol in this autumn international window. But it's not all the games in the, in the window, it's just the um, tests hosted by Tier 1 unions. Um, so the hosts of um, England, Scotland, Ireland, um, Wales, those matches will be playing under a slightly different TMO protocol this year. Um, World Rugby are trialling this in just in those few games in this window um, where they're looking to adopt um, the variant that's currently being used in Super Rugby um, to try and speed up the number of referrals that are put through the TMO um, and also to, to reduce the impact of the TMO on those games. So they're going to kind of have the on-field decision made by the referee and that's the one that the TMO needs to kind of either support or overrule rather than it being um, sent to the TMO for a decision. Um, the list of potential infringements that the TMO can be referred to is exactly the same so there's no change there but they're really stressing the need for any referral to be prompt, clear and consistent across the whole piece. Um, one thing that they're saying won't happen during the, the, that, those games in those um, fixtures um, is that they're going to take out the informal review press that what they call the on-the-run chat between the officials and the TMO for foul play. So that's not going to be happening. The onus is on the referee who should then only refer to the TMO issues that are clear and obvious series acts of foul play um, and then you, which could end up being a penalty, yellow card or red card as a potential sanction from a player welfare perspective. So those sort of informal checks that we might be familiar if you're listening in um, uh, England or the Pro 12, Pro 14 countries um, or in some of the Super Rugby where you've heard the referee just doing an informal check. Um, was that high tackle? Was that high? Um, TMO comes back informally having watched the, um, the eight second delay to either confirm or say we need to check it. Um, Many times that's being recognised by the commentators and the spectators being good refereeing because it means the referee, the game doesn't have to be stopped for a check. Um, but unless for this trial, they're not going to be doing that and we'll see where that ends up. Um, the 
protocol doesn't change from a TMO coming in for foul play. So any of the four officials can continue to instigate a formal review for those actions of foul play where it's missed. But again, they're stressing it needs to be prompt, clear, and for those really um, um, dangerous player welfare issues of foul play. Um, so the other, the other slight thing they're going to change is to, they're going to propose to bring the TMO onto the screen. So the, the little um, cameras in the truck that you may have seen in um, some World Rugby games, Premiership a couple of years ago in England, um, other times where the TMO um, in the truck has been broadcast, they're going to try and do that there. Um, so if you want to have a look at the full details and the full wording of the protocol, um, that again is on the um, referee, rugbyreferee.net website, um, back on an article based dated the 5th of October. So the final piece of sort of news um, relates to the European Champions um, Cup, Champions League action, which kicks off today as I'm recording this on Friday, um, the 12th of October. Um, the tolerance, there's, there's going to be a zero tolerance around some elements of foul play in this, this period of um, European Champions and Challenge Cup action. Particularly the um, with the um, over the the focus in the last couple of months on high tackles and contact with the head and all that kind of thing. And um, one of the things that's um, become cl more clear than perhaps has been before is is the ball carrier leading with a forearm into tackles in a dangerous way. There's been a number of sightings and and cards for that in Pro 12 and European games over the last couple of months. But at the um, the officials meeting in Marcusis last week um, one of the things that they deemed that they were going to be focusing on on a zero tolerance basis are these actions where the ball carrier goes in and with his non-ball carrying arm makes con uses the arm as a fending tool um, often causing contact um, with the head um, which is obviously dangerous in, in the um, arena that we're currently playing in so that's going to be a key thing to keep your eyes open during the European window um, they're going to be running the risk of it being a red card I think they'll be looking at force action was there a swing was there a um, force of the arm into contact so those different things but certainly they're looking at they'll be penalizing it um, at, at worst at best and then raising the sanction again starting at red and working down I suspect so one of the other things they're doing is looking at the sort of high um, the high position of defenders when they're attempting to make a tackle. If they stay upright and go into that collision um, point and they make contact with a ball carrier's head area, they're, again, they're going to be running the risk of a red card. That's the environment we're all um, in at the moment when we're looking to protect um, player welfare. Um, one of the other things they're saying about the breakdown, the focus area of the breakdown, is to allow greater competition for the ball, providing that first player into breakdown is in a good, strong, positive position. So not sealing off, not putting their hands on the floor first before they come back onto the ball, and that sort of thing. Um, and then in, in familiar um, territory on, on game values, it's a point that's raised um, uh, more often than not nowadays, they're going to have a real focus on... Um, game value points, but particularly players who escalate a confrontation. Look, we know rugby's a, um, a, a confrontational game and, and two players are involved in a confrontation. Um, that, will ha that will always happen and there'll be some heat involved there. But really the third player in who gets involved when they don't need to and escalate that confrontation, those are the ones that they'll be keeping a, a much closer eye on um, over, the lo over the next couple of months. So it'll be interesting to see how all those things play out um, over the European um, cup window. Um, and now, before we move on to the interview um, that we've got for you, um, we've had a listener um, send us a question. Um, really great to have those questions. If you've got a question and we can help answer on the podcast, then um, 
drop us a line let us know what it is and we'll answer it so michael what's your question uh, michael long from uh Apsley in england um given the different interpretations at elite level between the refs from the northern and the southern hemisphere would it not be a good idea for these elite referees to undertake perhaps a six-month sabbatical refereeing at the top level in each other's premier competitions Michael, that's a really good question um, and actually one that's been mooched around for, for quite some time now in, in different guises. I don't think it's made any um, inroads yet, but but certainly there is a, a clearly an advantage for people at the top end of the game experiencing different kinds of rugby, just the same as perhaps those of us who are refereeing at community level sometimes go on exchanges to other parts of our countries to, ref, to understand it, um, and referee a different type of rugby. So it works at all levels. Um, I think the issue at the top is that um, do the competition owners, so the likes of Sanzar, um, the, the Southern Hemisphere competitions, the, the Premiership Rugby from the UK, the Pro, 12, uh, Pro 14 organisation, do they want their top talent um, out of the country elsewhere refereeing for um, a period of time during any year? I'm not sure they're too enthusiastic about that because they want the top talent in their competition. Um, but it raises an interesting side issue about who employs um, the top referees that we have out there. Um, well, people don't realise this. They sometimes assume that as they're on the World Rugby list that they're employed by World Rugby. That's not the case. Um, the, the top officials in the countries that you're in listening to are employed, um, if they are employed, by those unions. So Wayne Barnes is employed by the RFU. Gus Gardner by Rugby Australia. That's who, who their employment is, their employment of contract is, and that's who provides them with their, their duties to perform. And unless all those employing or uh, companies get together and, and agree to share their um, employees um, from an HR perspective, then I think that will struggle. Um, also, I know that um, I had a conversation with Brett Gosper, the um, chief executive of World Rugby at a World, Cup, uh, World Rugby Confex um, event a couple of years ago, um, and, and he was saying that is something that they are starting to consider and to think through how they might um, perhaps centrally contract um, referees. I think it's a very complex issue. It needs to be done over time and with the understanding of lots of different stakeholders, um, which of course then gets political and all that kind of thing. So I think it's something they have in mind um, and, and should they become centralised um, contracted centrally, perhaps under a world rugby employer, um, then they can be loaned and lent back to the unions to officiate in whichever competitions suit them. So it's certainly something that's uh, more complex than, uh, Michael, you um, suggest, but I think it certainly adds value. Um, but that aside, it is already happening. Referees from all over the world do do um, exchanges at, at all levels um, um, as part of their development um, but also for um, uh, many other reasons so for example um, Craig Maxwell Keyes one of the RFU's um, professional referees spent I think two or three weeks looking at the back at the appointments down in Australia um, refereeing in the um, National Rugby Championship down there um, Graham Cooper, one of the up-and-coming guys in, in Australia, um, was in South Africa recently doing some Curry Cup games. So they do get those experiences at that top level in other countries. So certainly a, a great idea, Michael. Thanks for asking it. I um, hope that's kind of responded to it, if not answered it directly. I can certainly see the benefits to it, but I think the um, the, the complexity of it um, will mean that's not one that we'll see any time soon. Um, but if you've got questions like Michael's, um, do feel free to um, get your phone out, record your question in your on your device. Um, they've all got voice memo function now or voice activation. 
Um, send us a, a short file to ref at rugbyreferee.net say it's for the podcast and we'll get you on and we'll hopefully answer your questions whether that's about an issue um, as Michael's or perhaps you've got a law question or something like that that we can help to address um, so do let us have those questions and we'll answer them right um, that's it for the news part of today's podcast um, let's head over now to an interview um, with um, a character who um, plays a very interesting and unique role in the rugby education of um, a group of people in England. Um, I'm not going to say any more than that. Um, I'll let um, Phil Everett explain his role and what he does um, to help people better understand what we do with a whistle. Over to Phil's interview. So uh, today's guest on the Advantage Over podcast um, is someone a little bit different um, to our usual um, interviewees, but I'll see if I can explain it up front, tease you a little bit, and then we'll, we'll get into speaking to him. So Phil Everett is joining us, and um, by day he's an IT manager, um, but is a stalwart referee from the Staffordshire Society of Referees and also from the Royal Navy um, Society as well. Um, and for those of you who may have met Phil in the flesh, he is most definitely a former second row. There are a few clues there. Um, but um, like most of us listening to the podcast, um, is Phil's been involved in refereeing for a very long time in a number of different roles, just obviously as a referee, um, as an AR, but as a, um, a referee coach, a referee educator, which is where we first met um, back in the day of training uh, ref- future referees. Um, former society uh, education officer and running training modules as well. Um, for those of you who are also members of the rugbyrefs.com site, this is a great place to, to chat through all things. Phil's been on there for a number of years as well and is often found giving his um, advice and experience to others on there. Um, but none of that is actually why he's with us today. Well, kind of all of it is. Phil, you're very welcome to join us. Thanks for, for being on the podcast. Let's, let's join some of those dots together. Um, I mentioned that you were an IT manager. Tell everyone yep. where you're the IT manager for, and let's see where we go. Uh, well, as a rugby fan, I have the best IT manager's job in the world because I'm the IT manager for Leicester Tigers. Great stuff. So, um, let's see. Your your day job on a Saturday, um, obviously when, you, when when Tigers are at home, what, what role do you play? So, in the morning, I'm running around making sure that everybody gets into the ground, that, that all the turnstiles are working, that the press have got their Wi-Fi and, um, and everything's okay on the IT front. But as soon as kickoff starts, I move up into TV control and I'm responsible for putting all the referees' decisions up onto the big screen to help our supporters understand what's going on on the pitch. That's great. So, so let's just play that one through. So, whenever um, the game kicks off, the first penalty of the day, um, you see and listen to what's going on, I assume, and press some magical buttons. And how does it end up on the screen? Yeah. So uh, we have fan radio at the stadium, which allows supporters and myself to listen to what the referee is saying live. So I'm listening to the referee. I've got a perfect view from TV control of the pitch. And in front of me, I have a touch screen with all the possible referee decisions as buttons. When the referee gives a penalty, as soon as I see his signal or he tells me what the penalty is for, I press the appropriate button and up onto the big screen comes an animation of a referee giving the signal and underneath an explanation of what that signal means. So, for instance, a knock on or not rolling away or hands in the ruck. 
um, and it comes up. So any supporter who's heard the whistle but not seen exactly what it's for or is too far away from the action to understand why the whistle has blown is able to look at the big screen and we give them an explanation up there for them to see. Right, so so you're able to sort of add to um, add to what normal TV viewers see. Sometimes you just see a little caption that pops up that will say "not releasing" and, and perhaps a whistle sign. You're kind of taking it a step further for the um, that was it sixteen thousand, fifteen thousand, sixteen thousand in a stadium and, and adding to well, it. Average twenty thousand uh, oh, yeah, for okay. the season. So yeah, it's it's all designed to, for the for the seasoned rugby supporter who wants to know what the penalty was for, but also for the new supporters to the ground who, who need to understand what's going on on the pitch. So it's all designed to help both both types of supporter understand what's going on so that they can get more enjoyment from the game. Great. And, and how are you finding um, the feedback from the, the spectators in the stadium? Very good. We've had very, very positive feedback we've been doing this for two or three seasons now um, uh, moving it forward and making it better each season and the feedback we get is very very positive from the supporters to the point now where they just expect it at every ground they go to um, and and they're always happy to tell us if they go to the odd ground which doesn't have the capability to do this so, and the, the, the kit that you're using is something that you've developed at, at Leicester is that right? Yeah, our uh, our IT partners at Leicester have put this all together um, using the animations, using our descriptions of what the referee animations mean. Um, we we put, put it up onto the screen. So as soon as the referee makes a decision, you see it happen on the screen. The referee animation then fades away, just leaving the explanation on the bottom of the screen so you can continue to watch any replays but with the knowledge of what what the decision was on that replay. Okay. Um, and you just mentioned other grounds. So obviously you're, you've been doing it at Leicester for a couple of years. Is this something that they might see at other premiership grounds? Are you aware of other companies, uh, other, other um, clubs around the world who do something similar? Or are you guys unique to this? Well, certainly um, when we started off do, started doing it, we were unique. But since then, premiership rugby has got involved. They provided us with animations for all the different referee signals and those animations have now been provided to all the premiership clubs so every club has the information to do this whether or not they have the the hardware to be able to display that on their big screens is is down to each individual club but more and more clubs are doing this now and how many screens do you have at leicester we have two giant screens one at each end of the ground I'm guessing, and this isn't obviously a technical podcast, this is more on the refereeing side, but I'm guessing the the, the more screens you have, the better it becomes. Or it's e- is it easy to put it on the screen, or is that the whether your job as the IT manager really kicks in? Um, it, it's, it's very easy to put it up if you've got the right equipment. Okay. Um, unfortunately, not all clubs have the right equipment to do that, um, but there are various bits of software, and Premiership Rugby are helping other teams um, work out how they can do it if they don't already have the capability. So, so what we'll do, just because obviously this is a visual thing, so uh, you very kindly shared us with some a graphic of, of your screen, so we'll pop that in the show notes so that you can um, the listener can see what exactly it is we're talking about. But talk us through the different boxes, because I know there's, there's plenty of P's, plenty of F's, plenty of scrums and different colours as well. <coughs> well, obviously, um, 
if you look at the screen, there's quite a lot of buttons on there. Um, there's still not enough buttons for every single law that might crop up during a game. Again, but we've tried to we've tried to narrow it down to the ones that crop up frequently. Um, and because there are so many buttons, I need a little bit of help in remembering where they are for the right button. So the the buttons with a P on are a penalty offence. The buttons with an F on are free kick offences and so on. And then the colours also help to narrow it down. So pink is a scrum offence. Um, green is a, a breakdown offence. And yellow is a, an open play offence. So if there's a penalty given at a scrum, I know it's a pink box with a P in it and that immediately narrows it down and I haven't got to search the whole screen for the one I want. I've, I've narrowed it down to just a few boxes. And obviously speed is important because quite often when a penalty is given, especially, there'll be a quick tap and game will recommence straight away. So we just want to be able to very, very quickly get the information on the screen of what the penalty was for and then once we've left that up for a few seconds, we'll then bring that back down because obviously the game is showing live on the big screens as well. And, and obviously the, the 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 game of rugby, as any all our listeners know, is, is complex and it's hard to to decipher and figure out what's going on. Um, how important is it that you are a, a referee with all the experience that we talked about at the start um, to making this work for the the fans in the stadium? Um, I, I personally, I think it's essential. Um, because if you don't understand what the referee is seeing and what the referee is thinking and you don't instantly understand the referee's signals, then it's very difficult to work out why he's just given a penalty. Mm. Um, There have been the odd occasion where I've had to disappear to do some essential IT work and one of our production staff has taken over and they absolutely hated it because by the time they'd found the button, everybody was 100 metres down the pitch doing something else. So uh, it, it's not essential, but it certainly makes the job a lot, lot easier and quicker if if you understand what the referee is trying to achieve. The whole, the whole, I guess, the whole predictable or the fathomability of what you're seeing in front of you and, and seeing it as a referee's got to play into that being a useful tool. Yeah, uh, and it can also play against you because sometimes you see what's happened as a referee and you're already starting to press the button before the referee on the pitch has blown his whistle because he's waiting a couple of seconds to see what what develops from it um, and you're already sort of there. So you have to be very careful not to not to preempt the on-field decision. I think any, anyone who's uh, been watching any rugby on TV you know, as a referee certainly knows that experience where you're sitting call it, calling the decisions in lifetime before it's um, it's <coughs> been processed by the um, by the referee on the pitch. So yeah, we s- s- sympathise with you on that one. Um, and and this is all part of the sort of I guess rugby education for the the Leicester fan and the visiting fans at, at the um, at, at Leicester. So how? What else do you do within the club to sort of educate the spectator on uh, refereeing matters? Well, we we try to to help people understand rugby as much as we can because we know a lot of people don't come to rugby because they think it's a very very complicated game. Mm. They don't understand what's going on the pitch and they think that's going to prevent them from having an enjoyable day out. So, as well as off field entertainment to make it an enjoyable day out regardless of what happens on the pitch 
we also have this initiative to give them information on what the referee is blowing his whistle for. But there are also further um, aids available through our uh, Leicester Tigers app and through our website. We have Rugby Explained, which is a little sort of Rugby 101 explanation of the game using animations. And that's um, narrated by Ben Kay, who's one of our directors at Leicester Tigers and obviously uh, a commentator as well. So we have Rugby Explained, which explains in very short little animated sequences what the game of rugby is about, what the uh, objective of the game is and, and the start and stopping reasons for the game. And then we tie that in with the referees' decisions and hopefully it will encourage more people to come to the game when they find out it's not actually that complicated once you understand what's going on. Okay. Um, and obviously you haven't just done this in isolation. Obviously you, you've led the way on this and you, you work with the other clubs and also the unions. Do you, do you talk to the referees to get their buy-in as well? Yes, definitely. So um, I always try to talk to the referees on a match day if I get a chance. Obviously sometimes you don't want to interrupt them in their pre-match uh, routine but I'll always try and let them know that I'll be doing this um, and to just let them know that it's it's uh, it, it's to help the crowd understand what they're doing which obviously helps them in a way um, and referees are always very uh, very on side with this and uh, and I have had comments after the game of you know anything that they think I might may just have got a different opinion on their signal from what they were thinking and or more often than not, they go, yeah, I did glance at the screen a couple of times and you were absolutely spot on with your decision. So that's very satisfying. But we have also met um, uh, as a as a member of Premiership Rugby. We've met with other clubs and with Tony Spreadbury, who's in charge of all the match officials. Mm. And we've had discussions with them about how we can help each other in this. So obviously the referees can help us by making nice, clear signals and explaining explaining things in simple language um, and vice versa. We can help the referees by making sure that um, we don't put things up on the screen too early. We don't put things up which might contradict what they've actually said. And also that we don't block the view of the big screen with things like adverts when they're trying to... Uh, reach a decision through the TMO or sometimes if there's downtime referees have said when there's a downtime for an injury or something like that they'll quite often look at the screen just to look at the last play and go yeah I did get that right and that's exactly how I thought I saw it and it's just a little a little thing they like to do just to make sure that they're they're keeping up with the play mentally as well as physically and obviously it helps if we don't obscure that by putting too much information on the screen at the wrong time. Right, that's it's, it's a really interesting uh, initiative you've got going on there. Obviously, it's it's working both from a spectator perspective and, and sort of enhancing their match day experience. And it's certainly something I think many listeners of the podcast will be uh, interested to follow up more on. Is is it something that uh, can they get in contact with you if anyone is involved in a club elsewhere in the world to to talk about this? Yes, certainly. If anybody's interested in in knowing a bit more, they can get in touch with me um, through the Leicester Tigers via our website. Uh, we have a general email inquiries, um, and if they just mention my name, Phil Everett, any emails will get forwarded on to me, and we're always happy to to pass on the knowledge and experience we've got. 
great stuff well Phil thank you very much for joining us we'll put your contact details in the show notes um, it's a really interesting um, initiative and if any of you out there um, listening to the podcast thinking you've got a, a story to tell like Phil's or are involved in the game enhancing referee education we'd love to hear from you so we can get you on to tell your stories so Phil thank you very much for joining us thank you Thanks for listening to the Advantage Over podcast from RugbyReferee.net. We hope you've enjoyed the content that we brought to you this week. What we'd really appreciate is your likes, rates and reviews, wherever it is you found it, whether that's iTunes or Stitcher Radio or TuneIn. Please head over there and leave us a review. We really do appreciate those. Um, We'd also um, ask you to tell your referee colleagues, friends, community um, about this podcast This is the only Rugby Referee podcast out there, um, so we hope to get to more earbuds um, over time. We'd also love your feedback um, and your suggestions and your comments, so please let us have them. Um, You can either email us at ref at advantageoverpodcast.com or you can find us through the rugbyreferee.net website um, or through Twitter at rugbyrefereenet, which is the same handle you'll find on Instagram as well. We're in all those places, so please do let us know what you think, let us know what you want, um, and how we can help you become better referees in the future. So for now, that is Advantage Over.